Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Angels to aliens, from ghost stories to angel encounters, Bigfoot sightings, alien abductions, near-death experiences, and more. Get advice and insight with Angels to Aliens. Heidi Hollis, The Outlander. Outlander. Welcome, welcome everybody to Angels to Aliens with me, Heidi Hollis, the Outlander, here on the Believe Podcast Network, the number one podcast network for professionals. And the question is, do you believe? <laughs> Join me now where we discuss the most incredible stories on the planet, from the paranormal to mysteries and horror and UFOs, aliens, all that good stuff, and even heavenly interventions. I will also welcome you, the listener, to send over your personal stories and mysterious happenings that you'd like to share or get advice on. Just write me at my main website, which is, sound it out, HeidiHollis.com, H-E-I-D-I-H-O-L-L-I-S.com. And I'll also be interviewing some of the most intriguing guests from researchers to experiencers, authors, cultural creatives, you name it, they'll be on here. So if you enjoy this show, I want to ask you to please subscribe and rate the show on iTunes. And we're available on your favorite directories like Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, Luminary, TuneIn. And you can also find us at Believe.com. That is B-L-E-A-V.com and at Believe Podcast. And know that you can find me on a ton of social media. So just put at one, put the number one in front of Heidi Hollis. That's for Facebook, Instagram, all of the above. So I am going to introduce you guys to a fabulous guest. I mean, you know, I, I deliver. I get the really cool people. So Michael Schratt, he is a private pilot aviation historian who has also been investigating UFO encounters for over 25 years. Between 2008 and 2009, Michael reviewed a minimum of 50,000 cases, which were preserved at the CUFOs, that's the Center for UFO Studies, archives in Chicago. He's been a featured guest at various UFO conferences across the country and on multiple major radio and television shows like UFO Hunters and Coast to Coast AM. So everybody give a warm round of applause for Michael Schratt. Michael. Hi, Heidi. Hey there. <laughs> How are you? Good to be with you. Good to be with you. Yes, I am, I am so glad to have you on. You know, we haven't had any good juicy like UFO stories on this show for a bit. So, um, huh. yeah, go figure. So do tell. I mean, hold on. We got to back up 25 years. Yeah. You're flying planes and you saw something. You're like, I'm going to really look into this. I mean, what, what got you into this? I don't know. What is it? <laughs> mm, well, living in Chicago uh, wasn't too far from Oshkosh, which is the uh, world's largest air show. So uh, my dad took me there early on, and I think I was there for 27 years in a row. So certainly uh, interested in all the <laughs> aircraft that were in the civilian world, but yeah. wanted to s interested in find out what the rest of the story might be. And then one thing led to another, and I was given access by uh, Mark Rodiger, director of QFOS, and he agreed to 
let me review the files and I went through everything they had there and there were there were at least 50,000 files there. They basically have the largest private collection of UFO cases in the world. So it was very nice to review that collection. But you know, what's interesting though, is there was not another soul there. <laughs> the, the two years that I was there, not one other person took advantage of that resource. So, you know, the bottom line is go through the file cabinets, open them up, go through each individual file and I only pulled out the ones that had a really nice drawing, sketch, illustration, and then paperwork to document it. And that was kind of what the crusade was. Holy smokes, dude, you're dedicated. I, I'm from Wisconsin. And, yeah. I, <laughs> and it's like, and then the last like 12 years I was in Chicago. And then the last year I moved to uh, California. So it, it, uh -huh. it's, so we've got that in common, that Chicago-Wisconsin connection. So that's... Yes, that's right. That's right. <laughs> it's pretty cool, but 50,000. Yeah, there's a lot there. And, and yeah. it goes way back to, uh, I don't know, pre-ufology? Certainly prior to 47 for sure. You know, no doubt about that. Well, that's interesting. What did you read pre-UFO studies? <laughs> what, what was there? Well, let me give you an example here. Now, they publish a bulletin called IUR, International UFO Reporter, but they also had APRO cases in there, MUFON cases, and then people from all around the world, because it was Jail and Hynek that set up HUFOS. You know, he's famous for being in Close Encounters of the Third Kind, but he set up Center for UFO Studies in Chicagoland area, in the Evanston area. And so people from all around the world would send their UFO cases to QFO. So when you go through the archives, you see these beautiful, wonderful illustrations, hand-drawn uh, pencil sketches and marker drawings of all these beautiful UFO cases. And Heidi, they were sitting in there for 40 years. Oh. Never saw the light of day. Just sitting in there waiting to be found. And I was just lucky enough to find them. Well, Michael, why didn't you call me? Because I, I so would have gone and <laughs> oh, taken yeah. a look. I had no idea that was just sitting there like that. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Just sitting there. So let me give you an example. Now, this is, and all these are documented. All these have paperwork. So I'm not just making this up. So this is APRO Bulletin. And the volume here is 32, number two. And this is 1984. And the date on this sighting is February 3rd, 1983. So let me set the scene up here. This woman is driving back from a dinner engagement. It's about 9 p.m. She's got a long way to go. It's a 90-minute drive getting back to where she was. So she's driving down the highway, and she hears this boom, like a sonic boom. The car starts shaking. She pulls off to the side of the road. She stops the vehicle, gets out of the vehicle, looks under the car, thinking that a transmission fell out. Everything seemed to be okay, so she gets back in, closes the door, and goes another half mile, and then off to the right in the clearing, she sees this, and I don't know if I can do this via podcast, but and I've got illustrations of what this thing looks like, a 276-foot-long craft that tapers like a wedding cape at the end of it, and there's kind of a bulbous section in the front of it. It's about 80 feet tall. It has multiple levels. Uh, on the top deck, there's a transparent screen section showing these quote-unquote beings that were kind of looking back at her. And it was a, uh, they were wearing, hmm, I would call them a white 
tight-fitting flight suit. They were about five feet ten. They were human-looking, but they had larger heads. And she said that the atmosphere that they were inside looked like it was antiseptically sterile, a very sterile environment. This whole thing, by the way, had fasteners all around it, like big rivets and fasteners. Uh, it also had another transparent section below that one. Then there were these boxes that were about eight inches, eight feet square, and out, protruding out from these boxes were these cylindrical cannon-looking devices. Now, below all that, there was another open section and a door closing from right to left, and she could see in this door, and she said that there was a black asphalt road on the inside of this craft, and on the inside left wall of that, she said that she saw something that looked like tubes, pipes, and cylinders running along this left wall. And Heidi, this is something that's reported again and again and again. Come on. This sounds like a cruise ship through yeah, the Alaskan yeah. uh, glaciers and looking at the polar bears. That's right. That's right. Tubes, pipes, and cylinders over and over and over again. Now, on the bottom of this craft, there were these two gondola-looking devices. They were completely transparent. So it's kind of like a... Uh, somewhere where you would have a, a group of people sitting down or standing up like two gondolas and there were people in there identical to the upper deck and then connected to these gondolas there were these 24 inch by 24 inch highly polished reflective mirror devices in the form of a cross so this thing came down to almost uh, 10 feet above the ground she got to look inside the portholes of this craft and she said it, it reminded her of kind of like a dry dock on the East Coast where they're building battleships. Yeah. And when you look through these portholes, the, she could see girders and beams and bulkheads, like this is a, a manufactured structure. And then this thing slowly flew away, uh, didn't depart at a high rate of speed. But so essentially, that is the Alabama case. You gotta be kidding oh, me. Not making it up. How, how does she not like jump on and say, well, yep. how, how do you do? Yeah, I know. I know. Wow. That's incredible. Yep. I've never yep. heard of such a thing. But you that, can't make this stuff up. You, you know, can. it's just so crazy. <laughs> that is. That really does sound like a cruise ship of, uh, you know, like <laughs> somebody, somebody uh, made a, a bootleg tour uh, <laughs> to come along and, and have a look at the humans. That's interesting. Yep. Wow. Yep. Wow. Oh my gosh. So that's 1984. <laughs> this was, this was 1983, February 3rd, 1983 in Mobile, wow. Alabama. Holy smokes. Oh, do tell some more. What, what yep. other wild one yep. do you have? Okay. Oh. So let's move on to the next one. Now this came from um, MUFON archives and uh, a gentleman who was in the United States Navy, he provided the full report and this is somewhat known. They, they've had a couple of uh, documentaries on this case. So it's, it's somewhat known. And so this is late 1958, Guantanamo Bay, and this is the USS FDR, the Franklin Delano Roosevelt aircraft carrier. And uh, so it's around 9 p.m., documented case. All of a sudden, there's commotion, Heidi, below the deck, below the flight deck, inside the aircraft carrier. It's chaos, there's screaming, they're yelling, there's commotion. Everyone's trying to get up onto the top of the flight deck. And when they finally get there, they see this light approaching the aircraft carrier. It's all at night, 9 p.m. It gets closer and closer. Finally, this 200-foot-long cigar-shaped craft 
parks itself about 100 feet above the flight deck. It, it's cigar-shaped, very long. Uh, in fact, the people who were there now, there were 25 naval personnel on the flight deck looking at this thing. They could feel the heat coming off this craft onto their faces. And running along the side of the craft, there were these square-shaped cutout windows, and they could see what looked like humanoid beings walking back and forth inside this craft. Now, according to the primary eyewitness, and I've got his sketch right in front of me, and this is part of the uh, MUFON archives, one of these beings kind of like held up his hand over his head and was waving at the guys looking back up at it below. So he was waving to the people <laughs> down below. <laughs> yeah, yeah. All right, and then this thing turned an orange color. It took off like a spark on a grinding wheel and left no sonic boom back in 1958. You've got to be kidding. That, yep. I mean, that has got to shake up people's realities or drive oh, yeah. them drinking something. Oh, yeah. You know, and, it's like, how did they handle, I, I mean, 1958, they have nothing to refer to as something so advanced. I mean, we have an inkling with our sci-fi films. Sure. You know? But man. Huh. Yeah, and, and this really wasn't an isolated incident because the FDR was the first aircraft carrier to carry nuclear weapons on board, and they had a history of these UFO sightings. And they had a history of them? Yep, what? they had a history of UFO sightings associated with that particular aircraft carrier. Have you speculated why that might be? I mean, of course, uh, I, you've been in this for a long time. You heard the rumors of... Uh, a lot of aliens, UFOs showed up because we started dabbling in, in nuclear uh, weapons. Do you think that could potentially be why? That could be the case. It sounds like they're trying to monitor hmm. our weapon systems. Now, that's just a guess, but it seems like that's what they're doing. And it was prevalent on that aircraft carrier. It was like a repeat offender. Now, here's the thing, though. <laughs> a lot of these cases, they're USO cases. And USO cases are unidentified submerged objects, and they make up 51% of ufology, and yet they're completely unknown, essentially. It's like off the radar screen. Oh, and it's bizarre. not talked about. So this could have been a USO that came from a long distance away. We don't know for sure. That's true. And it's not been long that I've heard more talk about uh, these submerged objects. And, and it's like, well, of course they go in and out of the water. But exactly. Are, yeah. So yep. they, they just were always categorized as UFOs or not even? Uh, they're, they're categorized as UFOs, but, you know, a lot of times they come from under the oceans. They come from rivers. So they actually are USOs, but they're, mm -hmm. they're known as a UFO. I gotcha. I gotcha. I, I'd, seen, uh, I'd seen some footage of some guys that went purposely out to try to catch a, a submerged UFO, yeah. some, some TV show. And, and then the circular surface started to kind of rise up while they're filming, though it didn't come out all the way. I was like, you gotta be kidding me. It's right there. It's, it's just so wild. It's to me, it's such an interesting facet because Jacques Vallée, who is like a luminary in this field during the Condon committee, when they were doing all this reporting and investigating they didn't include one USO report in their whole study. They missed 50% of the entire phenomenon. Wow, that's, that's really And I mean, we've got cases going back to Columbus times, like explorers where these massive light wheels that were 800 feet across emerged from the ocean right next to the uh, Spanish galleons. 
and, and were flew, flew away. Uh, it's, it's documented history. Oh, my goodness. Why do you think that is? How could these things have been missed like that? I don't know if they knew about it. How, how could they not know about it? It's just, it's so prevalent, but yet it's underreported. Very few times do you hear about USOs in ufology, period. They, they just don't talk about it. But we've got case after case, uh, cases in 1956, uh, Operation Icebreaker, where we had a 200-foot-long bullet-shaped craft punch through 36 feet of solid ice and then go into space with multiple eyewitnesses. You know, like our uh, nuclear-powered wow. submarines, we can break through 36 inches of solid ice, but not 36 feet well, of solid ice. But well, yet this was done. This was done in the 50s and the 60s. It's reported. Well, whatever it is, I want it for Wisconsin winners. My gosh. Yeah, that's let's, right. Let's get that back in. Let's get that uh, <laughs> uh, reverse engineered, please. Put that on my Toyota. <laughs> mm -hmm. So, wow. So um, when, when you think about like a more active time, what, what did you... Did you were you able to gauge when that was? Uh, well, certainly the flap of forty-seven, hmm. and even the flap of fifty-two was even more prevalent than the flap of forty-seven. So those were the key dates. But you know, it's continuing on to this day. This will not go away. But those were like the primary years of massive sightings. Fifty-two. If you go on NICAP.org and you search on their chronology by date, all their sightings by date, there are. So many cases in 52, it's unbelievable. Like hundreds of them. Just awesome. unbelievable amount of cases in 52. So when you hear <laughs> Luis Elizondo take a step forward yep. uh, and, and, and report, gee, you know, all those people that kind of we made fun of to say are nuts and, and we, we, we poo-pooed all these reports of UFOs and, right. you know, some people, some people killed themselves. Some people lost their families. They, sure. they, they got so angry and, and, and so um, isolated with what it was that they experienced and our government just shrugs their shoulders and go, yeah, okay, we're kidding. We, we've been investigating this for years and we're just going to admit to a few million. You know, they've been doing a lot more, but how do you how do you feel about that? Because it made me angry. You know, a lot of people are like, "Oh, look, it happened. Let's let's celebrate." I'm like, they barely said boo, and they have destroyed a lot of people's lives, making them look like yahoos. Yeah. And all I would say is, now it doesn't necessarily come from that group, but it comes throughout ufology from the very beginning, since since really 1947 when allegedly this all began the giggle factor has been in place to discredit witnesses and it's still in place now. I mean, yeah. we're not there yet. We've made improvements. We've made strides forward, but the giggle factor is still mm. in place. Yes, um, it is. You still get ridiculed when you talk about this, but what we have on our side is we've got the documented cases from the historical files. Um, when you have multiple eyewitnesses, when you have a pencil sketch, when you have a drawing that indicates the flight path, and then you have uh, really good color marker drawings, mm -hmm. you put that together, you're looking at a real case. And then you could start basically zooming into the pattern recognition. Things that you see in one case get repeated in another case from a completely different location and a different date. When those two things line up, now you know you're talking about something that really happened.
You know, I, I've been in the crowds of people over there in uh, Dundee, Wisconsin, where there's a lot of UFO sightings sure. that a lot of people go to. And, uh, you know, a lot of us are sitting there recording. We see something going in the sky. We're just like, this is incredible. Let's call the news and see if they'd be interested in this story. Mm-hmm. Nothing. Nothing. So yep. it, it absolutely blacklisted topic for the yes. news. And, and, and it's just like, turn a blind eye to that. It's not like we don't have the evidence. It's not like we don't have the witnesses. It, 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 they want to keep people in the dark. And, and, and it makes me angry because it's like, we could be living in the times of Star Trek right now. We've got huh. some devices, you know, <laughs> we do, but they know they've got their hands on, on some really cool stuff and they're reverse engineering and, and doing all sorts of things with it. And we have enough people that have come forward and admit a secret space program is, is real. And they're going to sit there and say, light up the dinosaur fuel over there and, and move your right. car. No, they could do so much more. And seeing uh, military people right next to so-called aliens, uh, military abductions, I mean, men in black, whatever it is, it's so many people that are they're admitting and understanding what's happening. But that giggle factor, like you call it, it works. It, it, it works. works. It works. And, <sighs> you know, uh, Heidi, we're only getting a fraction of the story because only 10% of cases are reported. So what else is out there? We're only getting a small fraction of the story. <sighs> so frustrating. My goodness. It, I don't know. You know, I, I just, I honestly <laughs> take a little, little solace in knowing that this is going on their souls, those people, you know, got to deal with them because I'm just like, you just can't shake them up enough to say, stop holding humankind back because the human potential is something to be reckoned with. And Mm -hmm. no, they just want to jostle around our future, but you know, let's make the the efforts ourselves. But so when you are looking at I don't know, now that you've seen through the decades, do you notice a change in the styles of craft that are being seen? Well, certainly in the beginning, late 1940s, we had the dish-shaped craft. Uh, Triangles are the rage. We've got cigar-shaped craft. We've even got flying platforms as well. So there is a variety of craft out there, but... What's we a don't flying pa- see... platform? What, what is that? What yeah, are we yeah. Hmm. What's that? Is there that has a... <laughs> been, there's been flying platforms sighted in Guatemala since 1976. What, what Massive does that look like? flying platforms that are the size of six football fields. But what does it look like? How do you describe that? Uh, well, <laughs> I'll try to describe it for you. So <laughs> think, of, think of something that's six fo- football fields in length. It's about 300 feet across. It's about 20 feet thick. And on the bottom surface of it, it looks like a, an oil refinery. It's got pipes and cylinders and tubes and lights and bracketry, a very mechanical looking device. And uh, now this isn't something that nobody knows about because Steven Spielberg has already talked about this. So, I mean, it's okay to talk wow. about it, but the original craft that was going to be used for the movie Close Encounters in the Third Kind mm-hmm. was a pretty boring looking black craft. Uh, <clears throat> how it turned out is Steven Spielberg wanted something that looked more like an oil refinery. And that's how we got that mothership in the conclusion of that movie is because oh. Steven Spielberg wanted something that looked like an oil refinery. Well, it turns out these things actually do look like 
oil refineries. Um, a good friend, Antonio, uh, he allowed me to go through his collection and I've got multiple foreign cases and a very nice illustration where this thing flew right over this gentleman's head and it was six football fields in length. The bottom of it looked like an oil refinery. It had pipes and cylinders. And not only that, when he drove to a local gas station, there was a, uh, an attendant there and she said that, yep, there's been multiple sightings of that thing for a while. What, it sounds, so that's you know, happening too. Steam, steampunk fans will be really yeah, ecstatic knowing right. that because that's what that's it sounds right. like. Steampunk yep. lives. So, <laughs> so I, I always find it fascinating, like even when it comes to crop circles, mm-hmm. in different countries, they report different kinds. It's almost yeah. like a signature. And, and, and I'm hearing this from you when it comes to ships. So how do you explain that? Like what, they only eat Spanish food? So they're, you know, this, this type of craft is going to only be over Colombia or, you know, what are we, why is it doing this? Why is it distinguishing where, what types will land where or appear? Well, part of this could be a, uh, a previously unknown high-tech civilization that's already been on this planet for thousands of years. I think that would, could possibly be what we're dealing with here. Like a sl- certain percentage of it could be that the other Part of it could be interdimensional craft as well. So when you mix those together, you've got kind of a facet of this phenomenon, but not all of it. I think that's kind of what we're looking at here. And the configurations have changed throughout the years. We don't see a lot of saucers, but we see more triangular and platforms as well. You know, And some cigar, but we haven't even really seen too many cigars lately either. I have seen a lot of different craft myself Yep. and I have not seen platform. Yeah. I want, I'm going to put that request out to the universe. Oh, universe, yeah. Show me oh, a, yeah. steam, a steampunk craft, please. I want a big mother too. I don't want a little one. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Okay. So that's what I'm putting out to the universe. You know, what do you think of these sightings? Oh gosh, I can't remember the name of them, but they were like these drone looking things that were really bizarre kind of, oddly put together and they look people swore like this must be something our government has created you know with the writing on the bottom yes yeah what do you think about that i'm not sure but it certainly looks uh man-made you know who knows it's difficult to say but it's fascinating so take us take us on another okay trip let's see what do we got (laughs) yeah next case is september 10th 1976 it's Calusa, California, well-documented case. Got this from uh, QFOS archives. So the setting is this gentleman, it's late at night. It's about 11.30 p.m. He's watching a late-night movie. He's got the TV on. He's got the air conditioner on. All of a sudden, the TV conks out. Simultaneously, the air conditioner goes out. So he kind of gets out of the couch. He walks around to the back of the house. He's kind of like opening up the circuit breaker box because he thought that one of the circuit breakers might have blown. The next thing he knows, Heidi, is the hair on his arms, the hair on his chest, and the hair on top of his head starts <laughs> going up, starts rising vertically. And not only that, you know, it's standing up on end. Not only that, the hair on his head starts crackling. The entire area the localized area is kind of like enveloped in this electromagnetic static electrical field. He looks up and he sees a 140 foot dish shaped craft hovering like right above him, 50 feet above him. And what he described is kind of a gunmetal gray shaped craft 
the top of it, Heidi, looks like a, an orange juicer or like a lemon juicer. It has these ribs, <laughs> concave ribs going around all of it. So it looks like a, a lemon juicer. Wow. On the bottom of it, it had six of these conduit pipes that were curved and they had frayed edges. And then on the outer circumference of the craft on the bottom were these two hook-like devices, two on either side, so a total of four. Uh, there was a white light in the center, kind of like with a spotlight going down. And then uh, what's interesting is all of a sudden, these conduit pipes retracted into the bottom of the craft. And then these hooks, they retracted 90% up into the bottom of the craft, leaving the remaining 10% visible. As soon as that happened, two doors opened up on either side of the top surface of the craft, and these gooseneck lights popped out, shining a light down. Now, while all this is going on, he looks off to the left, and he could see two identical craft that were basically mirror images of the one that he's looking at that was right above him, but they were half the size and diameter, and they were pulling the electrical power off the nearby 500,000 volt electrical cables nearby, and they were turning them cherry red in color. They so needed a jump. Of, <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's, that's kind of like wow. the first scene in this. So this guy is shocked. He's amazed. He gets back into the house really quick. He wakes up his wife, his two children. They opened up the blinds in the window, and what they see are those two craft, the two smaller ones, are now on either side of the large one. So you've now got three in the backyard and these two smaller ones are shining a light down to the power cables and they're sucking off the power from these 500,000 volt cables. Now the next thing that happens is really interesting. The two smaller one, they, they kind of stay there, but the larger craft goes from a dead standstill to the mountains in the background, kind of these rolling hill mountains in the background that are about 24 nautical miles away. Two seconds later, it comes back to its original position all within four seconds. So it goes from a dead standstill away, 24 miles away, and then back again, all in within three to four seconds and made no sonic boom whatsoever. This is back in 1976, by the way. Oh, man. Yeah. You must have left a puddle somewhere. I don't know. I don't know. So (laughs) at this point, this gentleman, and it's all in this report here, he said, you know what? I'm done. I'm done. I'm out of here. I've had enough. So he gathered up his his family. I mean, this guy's in shorts, okay? So he he throws on a pair of uh, dirty jeans. He gets his family in their their Chevy pickup. Now he uh, puts it in reverse piles everybody in there, and now he's going 90 miles an hour. You can see the, the sight picture here. So he's got his family. They're in a pickup truck, 90 miles an hour down the road. Now this large craft, I don't know, somehow he alerted it, but now it's approaching the pickup truck. It, the report says it went off to the left side of the pickup truck, then flew above the truck on the right-hand side, went back to the left-hand side, about two miles down the road, he gets to his neighbor's house. He slams on the brakes. He piles out of the car. He starts, you know, banging on the door of his neighbor. Uh, the two neighbors come out. And so it's, it's the uh, original witness with his wife and the two children. So that's four. And then plus two new eyewitnesses, that's six. All six eyewitnesses just saw the tail end of this large 150-foot diameter dish-shaped craft 
peel away at kind of a medium rate of speed. And, and that's essentially the Calusa, California sighting. This is September 10th, oh. 1976. Holy smokes. See, I, I've not heard of a craft like this one either, but yep. you know what I can't help but to think? It's like, you know how we had jalopies back in the day? It, sure. You know, maybe they put out a new spin on their ride every year as well, or every 10 years, who knows? Because it, it just seems like uh, this has certain character. I mean, maybe it's oh, a yeah. certain certain family bloodlines, uh, fashionable craft. I don't know. <laughs> it's like, that's amazing. That's amazing. Yep. So it, it qualifies as a CE2 case, uh, Heidi, because it has physical effects. So that's a mm -hmm. CE2 case. And uh, we've also heard of reports of these craft pulling off power from the power line. So that checks out too. So again, it's not one of these isolated incidents. That's that's wild. So how many cases did you find where these were like uh, solo, like just, just one sighting for a person versus somebody who kept having repeat sightings? A lot of times it was an individual sighting. Yep. Ah. We've got those as well. Mm -hmm. I see. So you didn't see like the same name popping up over and over again. Oh, uh, no. No. Okay. Mm -mm. So nope. that just goes to show how widespread this is. Like these are not the same people trying to get through uh, like a phone line or something for unemployment office. This is, <laughs> it's not the same people that are seeing these things over and over again. These, a lot of these are, and most of them seem to be uh, individuals who just had their world turned upside down because they saw something otherworldly. Um, I'm finding it interesting to the, are you, did you find that uh, uh, most of the people that were moved to report what they saw is because the thing was so low and so clear, they were able to certainly distinguish this was not typical. Yeah, they needed someone to talk to. Uh, Jalen Hynek passed away in 86, but a lot of people wrote their reports prior to him passing. And then long after he was gone, they didn't know that he passed. So they continue to send in reports. Oh, so I've got it. a lot of these reports that are from, <laughs> hmm, I don't know, 89, 90, 91, 92, 93 timeframe, all that, that stuff too. So that, that checks out. Um, but yep, it, it went on. It went <laughs> on. And it seems like a lot of them were, were pretty close, pretty clear. Uh, it wasn't a dot in the sky is what I'm trying to get no. at. Like, like these are people are like, well, holy crap, Ola, there's no way that we missed it, mistook that for something else. I, I, I'm, I don't like when people are skeptical to the point of saying, well, you aren't qualified to use your eyes to look at the sky and say what you're seeing. Yeah, we are. Unless, you know, things are being thrown up in the sky that can zippity doodah all over the place that, uh, you know, defies logic or the human body, what it could withstand. So um, I think we're qualified. So <laughs> well, what else do you have? What, what, okay. what other sightings? Mm -hmm. Yeah. A lot, a lot of people, when these things fly by and they're at close range, they, they always say it was so close. I could have hit it with a baseball. You hear that a lot. Wow. That's how close these things are. So, I mean, you have to be a judge. Can you decipher details on a craft that flies right over you, broad daylight, 12 noon, and it's like maybe 20 feet away? Yeah, I think we can. <laughs> I'd say so. My goodness. All right. So we're going to move on to Falcon Lake, Canada, May 19th, 1967. Now, this is a very famous case, very well-known case. Uh, Stephen Mekalek is the primary eyewitness. He was the only one, essentially, uh, who actually saw this at close range. He was a rock hound. He was looking for gems and minerals. So uh, 
site picture here is he's kind of in a forested area. He's wearing a plaid shirt. He's got these thick uh, leather gloves on. He's got a welder's mask in front of him because he didn't want to hurt his eyes when he was chipping away at the rocks. So that's kind of the sight picture. Now he hears a noise in the background, some geese and birds making a commotion. So he turns around, he looks up, he sees two flying saucers. They're about 40 feet in diameter. One of them departs at a medium rate of speed. The other one lands approximately 200 feet from his location. So he walks over to it and it's this electric mercury chrome aluminum finish on the exterior, polished, almost mirror finish, like an unbelievably nice. polished finish on the outside. <laughs> uh, very seamless, didn't, no rivets, no uh, visible seams. Now there was a hatch, but everything else was completely seamless. There were these elongated slotted holes around the outer circumference of a dome that was about 10 feet in diameter. That was the only visible uh, slotted hole section that he could see. Now, as he walked over to the side of it, he definitely could make out the, uh, the appearance of some type of hatch. And then about mm, 20 degrees along the vertical axis on the outer exterior of the craft, there was another cutout area that was about, mm, I'd say nine inches by six inches. And it looked like some type of exhaust port because there was these holes that had the exact same pattern there. So it was a repeating pattern of look like drilled holes. So he walks over to this hatch area and all of a sudden this hatch opens up. So he walks over to the hatch and he sees this violet purple light coming out. He hears this mysterious language that he couldn't make out. So he was talking to this, whoever it was or whatever it was, in about five different languages, uh, French, English, German, Polish, <laughs> and he got no response whatsoever. And <laughs> all of a sudden, this thing slams shut, and then the craft lifts off about a foot off the ground, starts rotating, and from where he stood, that other port lined up with his location, and we don't know if it this was a air blast or a chemical blast or something. He got burned severely oh. and his clothes were on fire. Uh, some of his gloves were on fire. He actually wrote a book that almost no one knows about. And he huh? described this whole thing. Uh, he was in severe pain. It took him between three and four hours to walk back. Um, and then he had reoccurring medical effects that really never went away. Uh, and what's interesting is the whole pitch pattern on that exhaust portion of the craft matched the burn marks on his chest, Heidi, and wow. that's the Falcon Lake encounter. That is horrible. You know, it's. I was going to ask about some effects because I've I've heard of uh, some of the people that have been exposed or reached out and touched a craft, like right. them getting a burn or them coming down with some other kind of uh, cancer or something like that. But wow, he tried every language that he knew of and they burn him literally because he doesn't com can't communicate with them. Well, I mean, wow. We don't know if it was a direct effect of him talking, but right. <laughs> it's like as the craft was departing um, and a lot of, here's another thing too that I've discovered. Uh, before these craft leave, before they take off and leave the area, leave the witnesses, there seems to be Heidi, this high-pitched drilling noise and then these things take off almost every case 
has this high-pitched drilling noise, and then these things depart. So that's when you know to duck and cover. Yeah, yeah. Jeez, so man. this qualifies as a very serious CE2 because this is, uh, it had physical effects. Yeah. My gosh, that, that's horrible. Hey, you having the background that you do, have you personally seen a craft? I have not seen a craft, Heidi. I have not. Oh, come on but, now, but I don't, Michael. I don't need to see one because I've already been to the promised land. <laughs> I, I've, I've seen the shining city on a hill, but I, I don't need to see anything physical because going through those cases, when you read the testimony and, and people take the time to handwrite a five-page letter to go along with the sighting report and then ship it off to uh, jail and Heinick, yeah. it's a done deal. It's a I done deal. Could, I could point you to where to go look. Uh, just go to yeah. Dundee, Wisconsin on, on Long Lake, Benson's Hideaway. It's right yeah. there. Tell them I sent you. There's plenty yeah. of UFOs to go around. <laughs> sure, sure. Yeah, I've been up there for, I think, one of their events they had there. Oh, gosh. Every time I've gone, honestly, it's easier for me to count how many times I did not see a craft yeah. when I went. Oh, really? I think wow. was I think it was only, honestly, I don't remember not going there and not seeing a, a, a craft. I okay. Did. Wow. Yeah. Maybe I'm a beacon. You know, you should have gone with me then, Michael. I don't know. Ah. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. Now you have a new book that you pulled together uh, with a lot of these sightings. Are the drawings in there? Or? Yeah. I, I have a new book just uh, published two, two days ago. It's called Dark Files, A Pictorial History of Lost, Forgotten, and Obscure UFO Encounters. And what is, essentially it is, it's a, well, it took, first of all, it took 25 years to compile this all information together. It took another four years to get it illustrated. So Tom Bogan gets credit for doing the illustrations. And then it, it literally took another six months just to get enough inspiration to write the thing. <laughs> so I finally, you know, my friend Jim Goodall, he encouraged me to do it. So I pulled the trigger on it and it's 20 of my best cases. They're nice. all illustrated. They're all referenced. So you can verify it. You can check it out for yourself. I take you through the case. We've, we've illustrated it. So it takes you there. We've, we've made the cases come alive. And that was the whole basis behind the book is to dig out these old sighting reports, make them come alive through drawings, through illustrations, and just put the reader right next to the eyewitness when you're actually there. And so that's the goal of the book. My goodness. Is there a website? Where can people go and learn uh, more? People can get it at Amazon.com. Just type in Dark Files, my name, and it'll pop right up. And put out how you spell your name because a lot of times people are like, what? Yep. <laughs> so it's Michael Schratt, S-C-H-R-A-T-T. Wow, amazing stuff. Now, the KUFOs, how do you, is that like something accessible where people can look at some of these stories? Well, back in 2008, maybe 2010 timeframe, it was certainly accessible. It's open to the public. Anyone could go there. Just call ahead for an appointment and Mark Rodiger would uh, let you in. However, I, I, I believe that within the last three or four years, they've moved it from 2457 West Peterson Avenue to University of Illinois, Chicago. And it's now buried within the archive special collections there. So it's not as accessible as it used to be. So I'm glad I was able to get access to it when I did, because now it's going to be much harder to do what we've done. Amazing. Wow. Well, Michael Schratt, I have to thank you so much for coming on. This was absolutely amazing. And, uh, you know, 
everybody go get this book. This sounds like one of a kind. And I hope that this is just the beginning, Michael, that you're going to be pulling together a whole lot more because you sure do have a lot of content to pull together. Oh, there's many binders to go through. So plenty of material. <laughs> Can't imagine. Not another 25 years though, Michael, promise? No, 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 we won't do that. <laughs> All right. Well, I have to say, uh, you guys, now, what's the number one sign of a bad home security system? A home security system that's so complicated, you never use it. And that's exactly the type of system Simply Safe has spent a decade fighting against. Simply Safe was, was designed to be easy and use while protecting your whole home 24 7. Now, no to head to simplysafe.com forward slash team and get free shipping and a 60-day money-back guarantee. That's simplysafe.com slash team. It feels good to fear less. Well, everybody, we have come once again to the bottom of another fabulous show. Remember, you can catch me here on Angels to Aliens. With me, Heidi Hollis, The Outlander on Believe and go to HeidiHollis.com. And if you enjoy the show, subscribe and rate the show on iTunes. And we're available on your favorite directories like Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, Luminary. Tune in. And you can also find us at Believe.com and at Believe Podcasts. And, uh, you know, you guys have been listening to me, Heidi Hollis, The Outlander, here on Angels to Aliens. Remembering always, if it's weird, we're here. Goodbye, everybody. Angels to aliens. From ghost stories to angel encounters. Bigfoot sightings. Alien abduction. Near-death experiences. And more. Get advice and insight with Angels to Aliens. With Heidi Hollis. The Outlander. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.